Welcome to MO Forum. This is episode five, and we're delighted to have with us Dr. Emmeline Taylor, who is an expert in an issue that deserves a lot more public discussion, and that is the use of closed circuit television uh, for purposes probably beyond those for which they were designed, that is uh, for surveillance and uh, there's a lot of discussion about the benefits of that and no doubt there are some benefits from the use of closed circuit television but there also will be some costs in terms of privacy and that's what we're here to discuss today. Uh, Emmeline, would you just care to explain your background and, and the work that you're doing? Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Craig. Um, so my name is Dr Emmeline Taylor. Um, I work at the Australian National University as a criminologist. Um, and I've been studying the steady rise of CCTV and a raft of surveillance practices, um, including fingerprinting, iris recognition, facial recognition, and I guess the list goes on and on. Um, for the past decade, with Increasing concern around the lack of regulation and understanding about how these surveillance practices impacts on our daily lives. So let's go through quickly the technologies that you just mentioned. Everyone knows about closed circuit televisions. They see them on railway stations, in department stores, which are presumably to detect shoplifting or people who say they fell over and maybe didn't really fall over and are suing the business. You see them in public spaces, uh, shopping uh, precincts, um, but these other uh, devices, uh, uh, we've got iris recognition, is that what happens, that, that you look into mm -hmm. a lens and they photograph your iris and once that's done electronically, uh, you're then on record, you basically fingerprinted through your eyes, is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, that's a really great way of putting it. Um, so I think most people are familiar with CCTV, um, it's undergone um, exponential growth in Australia. Um, it's following, I think Australia is following tentatively in the footsteps of the UK, which mm -hmm. is probably you know the CCTV capital, capital of the world. Um, estimates really vary in the UK, there's probably around 5 million CCTV cameras, I think the latest figures that um, um, sort of estimated that. In Australia we saw um, in 2003 we had 33 town centre CCTV systems that rapidly doubled in just two years time, so in 2005 we had 66 town centre CCTV systems, but it's really hard I think to know the exact figures, how many cameras are actually monitoring um, Australian citizens. So just as an example, um, in 2012 the Information Commissioner estimated that there were 20,000 government operated cameras in Queensland. Right. Um, in Western Australia we have the figure as being around 12,000 mm. um, CCTV cameras. So I think we can see that that is the most recognised type yeah. of surveillance in Australia, but there are a number of different practices. So iris recognition, um, as you mentioned, is becoming increasingly popular. As part is of, that only in public sector or can private businesses um, do that? So yeah, you, you'll probably see it more to do with um, security practices of government, so yeah. around... Customs when you come in. Uh, yeah, and prisons and, and places like that. So these types of surveillance practices tend to originate within the military or you right. know, the police services, but they very quickly find yeah. a home in more sort of everyday um, and once that um, image is taken digitally of your iris, mm -hmm. is that then available to the agencies 
right through the system? And do you know whether there are uh, compartments where that information can't be um, spread? The reason I ask is that for fingerprinting, you need to have been suspected of having done a crime, committed a crime, as I understand. I mean, you don't um, get fingerprinted when you apply for your licence, mm -hmm. for your driver's licence, and it's quite a big deal when you know, I've never been fingerprinted, yeah. but I imagine it would be. Mm -hmm. But are we being fingerprinted every day through um, virus? There isn't the same um, routine use of biometric mm -hmm. um, surveillance practices, which includes fingerprinting, iris recognition, um, anything that is a um, personal aspect physically of yourself. So we yeah. have, you know, the biometrics um, area of surveillance and. It's not routinely being used yet, but I think surveillance is always a slippery slope. Mm. Um, surveillance creep is how we describe it, where increasingly people think, oh, what a fantastic idea. Perhaps we can now apply, apply this bi biometric technology for other purposes. So many nightclubs, for example, will now take fingerprints of their patrons. Um, and that's a requirement before entry. So what happens wow. with so that information? Yeah. How is that being safeguarded? And yeah. do these private entities recognise See, them? I haven't been into a nightclub for a while. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't let me in, so I don't get to the <laughs> stage. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, so next time that you do decide to go, then yeah. Yeah, just be aware that they may ask you for biometric data. Right, and it would be biometric, not not fingerprinting. Um, so fingerprinting, yeah, is, so that's yeah. been quite widely What used. about um, the face, face recognition, which I understand is using computer technology to define or to define your features, you know, maybe high cheekbones and you know, jawline and all mm. that sort of stuff, and even as you seek to change your hair colour or, um, or you might anyway have a big haircut or mm. um, just grow, change and grow, yeah. the basic features are already captured, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, the technology is just incredible nowadays. Um, so the sophistication of this technology enables um, them to take a digital imprint of your, of your facial features um, and then be able to use that to determine identification. So, for example, the Victoria Police since 2010 have been using a technology called iFace and they're comprising a, a database of tens of thousands of Victorian citizens and, and national citizens um, so that when they have a person of interest, they can run their facial features yeah. through the system in order to enable a match. Now, again, I think there's issues here around the technology moves very quickly, yeah. but the legislation is That's very right. slow. To so again, um, with this um, facial recognition technology, do you need to have done anything wrong? in order for an image to be taken? So in order for the image to be taken, I think it comes down to where it's been taken. So if it's taken in a public yeah. place, you could argue, well, you have no reasonable expectation That's to privacy. Um, and so I think, you know, there's that loophole around whether individuals in the public domain are having their data captured and processed. Yeah. Um, is there a database being compiled of innocent Individuals, are they aware that their mm. image has been taken and has been placed in this database? So I think there's huge questions that need to be asked. And in this digital age that we now live in, I think we need to get a little bit more savvy yeah. around our privacy. Well, can I give an example of this? We've just got a new computer and um, there I've got lots of old photos and you'll see some around the walls, but they're on the computer as well. And it can ask you, is this... 
um, Bob Hawke, is this uh, yeah. uh, Margaret Thatcher, um, is this uh, you know a friend of mine mm. uh, who's been photographed quite a few times, and you say yes once, and it will find yeah. that is people. Mm. It's quite helpful in the sense because it creates a little a mini album or a sub album mm. of me with Bob Hawke or me with um, you know a particular friend, mm. and so it sorts. But isn't it interesting that that information is being collated by some version mm. of facial recognition technology? Absolutely. And it therefore exists. So when we're doing it ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, the, the technology is very powerful. And I think it's understanding the capabilities of it so that individuals become more digitally literate. So they yeah. understand how to safeguard yeah. their own privacy. Well, exactly. I think there's... A very um, interesting tension around surveillance. So it's talked about as having two faces. So there's always the, the positive side of it. So, for example, joining loyalty schemes in the local supermarket yeah. gives you benefits or rewards mm. um, in return for them being able to compose you know, quite a rich consumer profile using your um, spending habits and various data that they collect on you. But there's also a downside to surveillance, and that's when... Um, decisions are made around your eligibility for certain services and, and things like that that may sometimes be based on prejudice or, you know, mm. there's, there's the good and the bad. And yeah. I think that's really important to recognise that this isn't always a negative thing. So, you know, being able to sort your photos in a matter of seconds, it has a positive yeah, side sure. to it. But when police and government organisations are using that same technology without people's awareness or consent, um, or understanding as to how that's being processed, and that's where I think we get into the dodgy yeah. territory. So are you saying that, in principle, there are and can be laws around this, but the capacity of legislators to keep up with the technology uh, isn't very good um, because the technology is going to keep getting more and more advanced and there'll be, I imagine, more and more community... Uh, demands for this technology to be used to track down criminals and, mm -hmm. and, and oh, something I would support, um, foil terrorist plots, for mm -hmm. example. You know, so there are upsides to these mm -hmm. sorts of things, but it seems from what you're saying that while lawmakers mm -hmm. understand that there should be some protections around this, keeping up with the technology mm -hmm. be very, very hard. Yeah, absolutely. I think there does need to be greater awareness. I think we need to get a little bit better at safeguarding our privacy and actually understanding what we mean by privacy yeah, in a digital age. Yeah, I was going to come age. to that very question, um, question. I mean, if people are saying that you have a reasonable expectation having been in a public place um, to effectively being um, photographed in some way, um, you know, maybe what you're doing in a public place is not something you want your boss to see. Absolutely. For example, you might have told your boss that, uh, and I did this once, you might have told, <laughs> I was a little kid and I reformed, but I told my boss that um, I was sick. That day, I was 16, and I went out and watched Australia and England play uh, a test in the Ashes <laughs> in 1970, and I came back, there was no facial recognition, but what they did recognise is that I had a very deep suntan. 
Uh, so okay. that, was, that was the old version of surveillance. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Craig, you must have got out of the backyard, felt a lot better and sat in the sun. They said thousands wouldn't believe you, but we wow, do. Oh, gosh. So but, we need CCTV. Yeah, okay. that's right. But it, it's a sort of a little um, humorous example of yeah. um, a situation where you may not be doing breaking any laws. Mm-hmm. You're not breaking the law, but you you and you are in a public place, yeah. but do you want other people... Uh, to know where you are all the time. But again, would there be limitations on the use of that by your boss in those circumstances, Mm. do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting um, scenario, I think, that that raises. Um, People often go to the vacuous idiom of, if you have nothing to hide, you Mm. have nothing to fear. Now, I think that is... I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. So... You don't necessarily have to have made, you know, done a criminal act or yeah, anything yeah. like that in order to want to have some sense of autonomy and privacy yeah. that is respected. Yeah. And I think it comes down to trust as well. So do we want to be trusted as um, law-abiding citizens mm. on a daily basis? Or do we want to have all of our actions and things that we say recorded for future verification? Yeah. Now, I think that's quite a sad state of affairs when actually yeah. people cannot accept you yeah. or, you know at face sure, value yeah. and take your word for things when they're constantly having to look for um you know outside verification yeah so. well this leads to a related question and that is i would frankly be surprised in the circumstances which we've discussed of someone's in a public place and there's a public mm-hmm. cctv i i really would doubt that if uh, the boss went to the um, local council and said, could I see the footage, that that would be handed over. That wouldn't. That's that's the truth. But if they then went to a department store or uh, we've seen examples of a hotel that um, takes has a CCTV right down Mm -hmm. the shopping mall for hotel safety, right? So they've got the footage. So not every bit of footage that's taken in a public place is taken by a public authority. That's right, and that's a really important distinction to make because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding um, in society around who you know is operating the cameras, who is actually watching and looking after the footage. So in um, in England, the uh, British Security um, Association estimate that only one in seventy cameras in Britain um, are actually publicly or state-owned cameras. So we've got 69 in every 70 cameras that are privately um, operated and monitored. Now, in Australia, I think we have the same issue, where we have these private entities that are increasingly using surveillance and different technological means of um, watching and monitoring us. Are they as aware of their privacy and data protection um, responsibilities? And even if they are, do we have enough resource going into safeguarding that? So, you know, are they actually being held accountable? So, as you said, you know, if I go to a um, state-owned camera system and ask to look at the footage because, you know, I want to see who was with who in, yeah. in Civic on a, on a Saturday afternoon, well, of course they'll tell me to mind my own business yeah. and go away because the privacy principle around disclosure doesn't allow me as a member of the public to demand to see yeah. that footage. Now, if I were to go into a department store or, you know, my local bar, 
would they have the same mm. attitude? Would they yeah. know their responsibilities right. around disclosure? Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's, there's huge um, avenues, I think, that are opening up around, that, that are problematic. And, and what of the future? Can we just have a gaze into the future on possible technologies? Mm. Um, certainly, I'm no expert here, but um, with the likely emergence of supercomputers, and we know that the computing power has massively increased, you know, sort of an exponential increase. All of this information, is it actually stored forever? Mm. Or, you know, are we still in that era where the footage is taken and then destroyed? Mm. Um, like if it was an old movie camera, you'd have reels and reels of this stuff and yeah. people would end up chucking it out. Mm. But is this information, once it's captured there forever... It will be different depending upon the type of information. Now, in terms of um, visual footage, CCTV um, footage, then typically that will be on a cyclical um, deletion process. Right. Okay. So typically every 30 days, um, the footage will be wiped unless you know it needs to be kept. Because and, and why is that? There. Is that just for storage? or? Um, you could probably argue that storage comes into it. Um, I mean, particularly when people were using the old videotapes as well. You know, you yeah, only yeah. have a certain number and you That's have to right. keep going back and recording over them. Um, but it's also, I think, about not keeping somebody's data in perpetuity. Right. Um, so actually, you know, safeguarding their privacy in that respect that you can't go back through the records for 10 years and see what this individual was yeah. doing such a long time ago. Um, but is there any law about that? I think in the privacy principles, okay. it's around um, only being kept for as long as is necessary. I think if, if you look at the privacy principles, some of the word in there is quite vague. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think um, there is some expectation that there'll be a deletion, ongoing deletion of right. footage. Okay. Because I do wonder if, I mean, you've got the cloud, you know, mm -hmm. there seems to be... We seem to be approaching a kind of an unlimited storage capacity yeah. for data. Mm -hmm. And again, um, you know, being an advocate for th those who really like this sort of um, surveillance, mm -hmm. you could have that stored in perpetuity and mm -hmm. then track someone's behaviour. Let's say someone who has committed a crime or is suspected of being involved in terrorism, mm -hmm. you know, with the, I'm just thinking, with the facial recognition technology, if you've got strong enough computers, presumably you could press a button and then go through, mm -hmm. particularly if this um, data was linked up. I'm starting to sound yeah. like a conspiracy <laughs> theory. But if the data was linked up, uh, you could see a world in which your movements going back 10 years could be retrieved. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I don't think that does sound... Um, conspiratorial at all. I think that's where, that's on the horizon now. The technology is probably The technology is hugely sophisticated, things like Google Glass, which will be fitted with, you know, cameras, which will, individuals will now be able to monitor. So almost, you so know, can you turn the tables. Um, so in terms of Google Glass, then it's, you know, the futuristic glass um, model where you have a computer embedded within those. Now, Perhaps but what's Google Glass? Will. What is it? Um, so Google Glass is a wearable technology. Right, yeah. um, now, I'm not a technological expert. So, yeah, it's yeah. a pair of glasses, right. um, and it has a camera fitted to yeah. it, and you can use it for processing information and data. Um, so that the prototypes of those have come out, they're now available. Yeah. Now, 
perhaps that isn't the way that the future will go, but I think we're increasingly merging different technologies. Mm. Um, just one example of that is the introduction of you know camera software into everybody's mobile phones. We've got the telecommunications right. and, the, and yeah. the visual coming together there. Um, but I think the, the facial recognition is really increasing. So that's yeah. been used more and more um, in policing. Um, it's being used with CCTV um, mm. to be able to pick people out of, of crowds yeah, or whatever yeah, scenario. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the big issue here is the convergence of different yeah. bits of data. Yeah. Um, so whereas once somebody might know your medical records or you know those types of things or your driving license, we're beginning to see the emergence of huge databases where you can actually know a huge amount about any individual. Now I think that's quite scary mm. at the moment because again I don't think we have the safeguards that are needed yeah. um, or the understanding around our own privacy. So again coming back to this digital literacy, um, people I don't think realise when they put an image on Facebook for example, the ways in which that can then be used, used and yeah. for you know years and years. So yeah, they're yeah. the same protections around deleting that footage. Mm. So I think people need to get a little bit smarter yeah. about protecting themselves. And can we go a little wild and, and um, talk about this Google Glass um, technology? So it is really a mobile, or it includes, mm -hmm. is this right, a mobile closed-circuit TV, is that? Essentially, yeah. yeah. So it would be um, almost like wearing a, a mobile phone camera but in your yeah. glasses, so it yeah. becomes difficult to know whether somebody was recording the footage at the, ta mm. at the same time, so I could be roaming now yeah. and filming you when you wouldn't well, necessarily... Right. Now, if I'm roaming around with my mobile um, and I've got it on video, mm -hmm. it's probably not that obvious, but, you know, you kind of... Mm. People would look at you and say, what are you doing? Because you're wandering yeah. around. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I know this much, that if I've done that and I've been in a shopping mall, I can then download that onto my computer and put it in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Um, well, that sounds like what could be done here. So yeah, absolutely. you can just um, wander around the streets, mm -hmm. not really know what you're looking for or looking at, but that information is then stored in perpetuity. It mm -hmm. sounds like that to me. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, absolutely. It's quite a big issue. So definitely. Yeah. And I think another um, issue is, you know, around um, websites such as YouTube. So mm. the number of times that you see you know, individuals, quite often the video will be hilarious, but that's at somebody's expense. Yeah. And are they aware? I, I've that been there. There you go, first hand Exactly. So, you know, I think this just raises huge um, mm. issues that need to be debated, and I think people need to be aware um, of how they are mediating themselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the possibility that everything is being recorded. Well, you know how, this is a really fascinating discussion, but um, police will say, uh, could anyone come forward who has seen, you know, a person fitting this description, 180 centimetres mm -hmm. and, you know, a slight building mm -hmm. sign. Um, could there be a time where um, the police, quite legitimately, would say, this is the sort of, technological um, definition of this person, facial recognition, post, post that out, put it out electronically, and then ask people, have, have they perhaps seen that person? They're not necessarily going to remember it through their minds, mm -hmm. 
But if they have Google Glass or some sort of device like <laughs> that, yeah, they can search it. Absolutely. You I just mean, search, press the button and say, there's the image. Yeah. You know, we're looking for that. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's incredibly powerful. Absolutely. I mean, a really good example, I think, is around the Boston bombings yeah. at the end of last year. What we saw was this huge crowd uh, crowdsourcing phenomenon yeah. um, where members of the public took it upon themselves yes. to do the investigation. Now, that resulted in you know many innocent people having their face and images um, you know, broadcast globally. Right. Um, through the internet as a person of interest. Now, it took quite a long time for some of those individuals to actually prove their innocence, that they weren't involved Mm -hmm. in the massive bombings. Um, So this crowdsource ability has a huge um, power, but it's also very dangerous, I think, in the wrong hands to have you know, armchair detectives um, trying to do these very complex investigations. And your point there is in the wrong hands. I mean, I think that technology was used to apprehend the bombers, was it? Was it not? Um, Perhaps, you know, the visual footage will have formed part of the FBI's investigation, but I think the the point that is that I'm trying to make is mm. around the, um, you know, the crowdsourcing yeah, yeah. phenomenon that yeah. has now arisen. Now, there's another example of that which I think is really interesting, and this came out of the UK, and it's a website which draws upon um, crowdsourced um, technologies. So the website's called Internet Eyes, and they have a series of members, so convenience stores, you know, you call oh, a yeah. shop, Mm. And they submit their CCTV on a live stream to this website. Now, people at home can subscribe for a small fee per year, and they're given at any one time four live CCTV footages being streamed of individuals going into shops, making their purchases. Now, if they think something suspicious has happened or is about to happen, they press an alarm on their um, <clears throat> on their computer. It alerts the shop owner who can then go and look into it. The person at home is rewarded if it's a um, successful apprehension of that individual. But this raises huge ethical concerns Mm. around privacy. Um, Yeah, that's supplying this very information that we were talking about earlier to mm. the general public. Absolutely, yeah. So live streaming, so everybody can now be a CCTV operative with no training, with yeah. no um, you know, qualifications that they can do that. And presumably, again, let's say uh, someone was going into the 7-Eleven store doing nothing wrong mm-hmm. but actually had told his or his wife or her husband or some fellow of somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that information is then available mm-hmm. but you know, in the hands of the person who's mm-hmm. received it. Uh, probably wouldn't know what they were looking at, but yeah. but you, as a private citizen, may well say, "Well, the truth is, I am being monitored." Yeah, absolutely, time. the whole time. Definitely. So you know, there, there is there's been issues around um, people at home capturing that footage and uploading it to YouTube if somebody's tripped wow. over or that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Now, of course, that is in contravention of the the privacy laws in the UK. Um, but again, it's just so hard to monitor. How do you enforce yeah, that when yeah, you have, exactly. you know, these thousands, tens of thousands of individuals that are, are doing yeah, this? It's yeah. just very, very hard and, to monitor. And it seems to me, Emmeline, that um, what comes out of this discussion is the need for a community discussion because mm-hmm. not many people would argue there are no benefits from this sort of technology. Yeah. But if the technology is to be deployed for 
let's say, socially good purposes, mm. that is apprehending or, um, criminals or preventing crimes, mm. uh, the public would support that. Mm. But if public support for this technology starts falling away because they realise how pervasive it is and the invasion of privacy that it involves, the privacy of innocent citizens, you may um, move from this phase at the moment where politicians get to promise 50 more CCTVs to the community and say, hey, we don't want more of these CCTVs now that we know how much uh, privacy can be violated and how readily it can be violated. Absolutely, and it's not just privacy either. I think if the public were more or made more aware around the effectiveness of some of these technologies, so taking CCTV as an example, there's a pervasive presumption that CCTV solves crime. It reduces crime. Now, the many, many studies that have evaluated CCTV come back time and time again and say, actually, it's not the panacea that people mm-hmm. think that it is. Um, so just as an example, um, again, drawing upon the UK, that's where a lot of the um, research has taken place. In 2008, the, the chief of police of the Metropolitan Police in London came out and said, well, yeah, according to our records, just one crime was solved for every 1,000 cameras that we have. Yeah. The return on investment yeah. is just not there. They're not as effective. And, and as would there be. also potentially be this problem that people feel that they're in a safe place because they're CCTV and and maybe they shouldn't feel so safe. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm thinking about a railway station late at night mm-hmm. um, or a bus station and they know that there's CCTV and they think that therefore the criminals will be deterred, I'm safe, in terms of... Absolutely, yeah, false sense of security um, is a huge issue. So, you know, we rely on this technology to safeguard us, but in comparison to, you know, having a police officer there or a security guard, somebody who can actually intervene, um, you know, CCTV just can't really deliver in that respect. Um, I like to think of CCTV effectiveness um, in a sort of three-dimensional way, so the three Ds, I guess, of um, CCTV effectiveness, and that's deterrence, detection, and displacement. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of deterrence, that is premised on the idea that offenders are rational, so they, you know, they look at CCTV, they weigh up the risks and benefits, and because there's a CCTV camera there, they think, oh, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. not worth it, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take the risk this time. Unfortunately, most crimes, almost violent crimes, yeah. take place when the perpetrator is under the influence of alcohol, alcohol or drugs, yeah. and so they're not they're really taking that rational yeah. decision yeah. anymore. Um, in terms of detection, then you know CCTV can be a useful forensic device. It yeah. can be used after the event, perhaps to look for witnesses or the perpetrator, or use it as evidence in a court case. Um, but again, I think it shouldn't be overstated just how effective it is in the detection. Very often, the footage is of a poor quality, it's not admissible in court. Lots and lots of different reasons as to why, in terms of detection, it, it again isn't as great, I think, as the public and, and politicians perhaps um, would have us believe. And then lastly is around displacement. A lot of the studies have seen that CCTV simply just moves the problem elsewhere to where there there isn't isn't any coverage and unfortunately where there isn't anyone else to intervene. So are we then just pushing 
crime onto the more vulnerable locations. Yeah, so whether absolutely. that is railway yeah, stations, public so, places, there, yeah, absolutely. So CCTV is quite complex, mm -hmm. um, and I think we need to educate educate people around understanding yeah. that. So what are you actually getting when you invest fifty million dollars, as the Liberals um, have pledged? Are you going to get a safer society? Um, because it needs to be balanced against expectations of privacy mm. as well. So I think there does need to be that. Yeah, and I, I think there are, as you say, two issues. There's the privacy and the false sense of security. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be bad if um, people felt um, unjustifiably yes. safe because of CCTVs? Mm. Um, I know in uh, the area that I represent in Logan City, um, there was... Uh, and a, a dispute about what happened on a railway station, but it never really got resolved because of the mm -hmm. quality of the CCTV okay. footage and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. it, it is true that if people um, are either affected by drugs or, or alcohol, which is another form of drug, or something just, it's a crime of, you know, someone loses control. Yeah. You know, there's a huge fight between um, a couple of groups of people. They don't say... I'll just check the camera yeah. before I whack this guy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're going to whack the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, someone gets a gob full and these, mm -hmm. you know, tough guys then just belt him up. Yeah, know? yeah, definitely. So. Yeah. And the camera's not going to jump off the post and, you know, break that yeah, fine up. Mean, you can't yeah. actually yeah. do anything. So I think we need to think about um, how best to spend public funds and yeah. whether that's, you know, investment in police resources or investment in yeah. CCTV. Well, certainly um, the old story about having a cop on the beat, mm. you know, the, the, the prospect of a mm. police car going past. Or yeah. I know the, in London the, the uh, image of Bobby's on foot, mm. you know, it's a very powerful way. Yeah. It's expensive yeah. people, but, you know, maybe some of the old uh, methods are good methods. Yeah, Well, um, I think we should draw it to a close, there's been a fascinating discussion. Would you like to just explain to people your research and where what you're doing, where do you, where you think it's all yeah, going? Yeah, certainly, thank you. Um, so I'm currently involved in um, a number of projects looking at surveillance, uh, particularly in the UK, but also um, in Australia. One of the um, really interesting developments from my perspective is the appetite that schools have shown for surveillance and um, so for example in the UK we have CCTV probably in around 90% of schools um, and in, in different areas around schools in classrooms and corridors and um, even in the pupils toilets we're seeing that as being an increasing um, phenomenon and that's starting to happen in Australia as well so not demonstrating quite the same appetite but I think we're beginning to see um, the increase of CCTV in education, but also fingerprinting um, is increasingly common. So again, the UK um, seems to have a quite um, quite a fascination, I think, with surveillance. So a third of all schools in England currently fingerprint their pupils routinely from the age of four. Um, but one technology I think we should be keeping an eye on here um, is RFID, radio frequency identification. And that's where you microchip um, an individual. So typically it'll be in a pass, in a you know, something that you wear on a lanyard, um, or even sewn into clothes sometimes. Now this is huge in North America, um, some Asian countries such as the Philippines and South America as well are increasingly using this um, to monitor pupils, um, to actually track them 
as they move around the campus. Now there's huge privacy and ethical concerns around this, but I think it's a technology over the next decade or so that we're going to see um, increasingly use around the world, including Australia. So that's the area, I guess, that's keeping me busy at the moment. Well, thank you, Dr. Emily. Thank you. Uh, fascinating discussion about privacy and protection. Uh, thank you for joining us on MO Forum, episode number five. I hope you've enjoyed it. Bye.